Hello everyone, my name is Ed Kemp and welcome to the Speak Up podcast, a podcast for leaders who want to make a difference. The current COVID-19 environment has led to a number of challenges for organisations, including sustaining team alignment, stretched leadership teams and disengaged people. Speak provides CEOs with a tailored and proven approach to sustaining team engagement, encouraging tough conversations and empowering people to deliver outcomes and results. Regardless of the situation businesses face, identifying the critical issues, dealing with the elephants in the room and developing a go-forward plan must happen quickly and repeatedly to drive impactful outcomes. Our experience tells us that whilst embedding sustainable improvements in mindset, behaviours and capabilities is critical, it all starts with getting the team on the same page and engaged. Over the course of Series 1 of Speak Up, you'll hear from highly experienced leaders who will share their views on leadership and team alignment, their challenges, perspectives on what worked, how they've navigated COVID-19 and the cultural issues that inevitably get in the way of being on the same page and staying there. I hope that these conversations will get you asking yourself one very simple question. Am I on the same page with my team? And if not, how can I help us get there? If you're not sure whether your team is aligned, getting curious is the first step. You can also reach out via our website, www.speak.com, to find out how we can help you and your team get on the same page and stay there to optimise performance. Today's guest on the Speak Up podcast is Nick Humphrey, Chairman of Halo Group Holdings and Managing Director at Hamilton Lock, the leading corporate services firm delivering solutions across legal, governance, risk and compliance, helping businesses grow and thrive. During Nick's 25-year commercial legal career, he has advised on hundreds of high-profile transactions, as well as founding Halo Group. His extensive experience and market expertise has enabled him to build and lead a business that uniquely focuses on the intersection of the people experience and client experience. After 10 years in senior management and leadership roles, Nick recognised an opportunity to start with a blank piece of paper and build a unique corporate services platform. Starting with the establishment of full-service law firm, Hamilton Lock has an evolution of the legal industry. He identified the importance in leadership of mindfulness and positivity, building culture, driving innovation and implementing a values-based leadership model, leading to the ultimate optimization of the client experience. Dick is also the author of a number of best-selling books on business, law and leadership, including Summit Leadership, a book aimed at executives and professionals who are currently in or aspire to hold leadership roles. Hello, Nick, and thanks very much for joining us on the Speak Up podcast today. Tell us about your career journey, what led you to starting Halo, and what challenges did you encounter when rethinking the traditional law firm professional services model? Thanks, Ed. So I think my career path was fairly traditional in that I went straight from law school, went to work for Malsons, was seconded overseas to work in London, and then I've worked in top tier global firms for 28 years. I guess we're Came slightly different was I was took on management roles maybe ten years ago, and I got more and more frustrated with the very high churn rates and low engagement levels that on all different parts of the firm, and got very sort of interested in what were the sort of push and pull factors. So I started to kind of interview the lawyers that were leaving, the partners that were leaving, and trying to figure out well why is it that you're going. And I got this pattern of information around, you know, toxic cultures, poor innovation, you know, bloated management, bureaucratic hierarchies, and so on. And I felt that there was a real lack of kind of leadership skills in the traditional law firm. So that inspired me to then go and speak to people outside the law. And that's when I started this process maybe five years ago of interviewing elite athletes, you know, national sports coaches, the Wallabies, AIS, 
Olympic athletes, uh, senior military officers from around the world, serial entrepreneurs and so on, asking them questions around, well, you know, how do you build a high-performing team? How do you protect the scale culture? And how do you drive performance? So that's a bit about my journey. And if you think about the traditional law firm environment and you talk about toxic culture, lack of innovation, lack of leadership, poor management, if you could sum things up from the perspective of the feedback that you got from the exit interviews, was there one thing that stood out above all else which really was the catalyst for you to sit down and rethink the professional services firm model but also, you know, the existing law firm model? I think it starts with purpose and I think the problem was that the law firms had no clear sense of what their purpose was other than making profit per partner. There may have been little sort of islands of excellence within these big organisations, but really there was this quest for profit per partner. And if you sort of think about it, that's such a terrible purpose because profit per partner is only one stakeholder. It completely ignores everyone else. It ignores individuals, whether they're lawyers or head office. It ignores the clients, which is pretty hilarious, and it ignores the impact on the community. So for me, I felt it was a a real disconnect with understanding the sort of purpose of that organisation and that was really what started me off on the journey, yes. And if you think about that from an evolution of Hamilton Lock and the Halo Group more broadly, what are the things that you would say to a person coming in for the first time, either coming in at a at an associate level or a senior associate level, even a partner level, that you might be able to pinpoint as one or two things that would be different from them coming from one of the other top-tier law firms? Yeah, so what I'd like to think is that on each of those metrics we've been talking about, we're the, hopefully the polar opposite of big law. So I think we're very deliberate about our culture. We want it to be collaborative, nurturing, energising. We don't want to be bureaucratic. We don't have bloated management structures. So we want to be very lean and we want to allow people to have a common sense of the mission but execute themselves rather than setting lots and lots of rules. And we want to be sort of very agile, so make decisions quickly and repoint the business as quickly as possible. And I think the purpose, again, echoes throughout the business, which is, you know, our purpose is for the individuals to grow sort of personally and professionally and then for the teams to have an environment where they can collaborate and then together the teams which are collaborating with other teams provide a better service to the clients and the individuals in those teams are growing and engaged so that the client gets this better service from the individuals and a more kind of integrated advice from the team so the clients are happy. So it all kind of stacks together. And, I mean, I think that's the really point about this is that it is at the end of the day from a professional services perspective, it's all about the client. I imagine, Nick, that you'd have people lining up to try and join Hamilton Lock based on, on that description and the and the movement away from that traditional, I guess, hierarchical law firm sort of model. Thankfully, there are people joining us and we are growing quickly. But interestingly, there are so many kind of trappings to being part of a big prestigious law firm, whether it's the brand or having your own office or having your own secretary people sort of cling to these old edifices. What we're doing is really breaking all the habits so that we offshore our back office, we outsource parts of our back office. It's all open plans, a very flat hierarchy. 
it's very entrepreneurial, so we're taking risks. So all those things don't appeal to everyone. So we're attracting like-minded people who want to be part of the evolution of law and want to start trying new things and breaking some of those bad habits. It's interesting talking and thinking about what you've just said on the basis that, you know, COVID's thrown up this massive issue and challenges for staff to stay connected and aligned, especially from a Hamilton Locks perspective where you've got such a diverse client base offering with price points all over the spectrum, I guess, of professional services. So what are some of the things that you may have done from a Halo perspective to put in place to ensure the work gets done, yet staff are still looking after themselves and the organisation still has a clear understanding that there is this balance that needs to take place between looking after your clients but also looking after yourself to drive better client outcomes over the longer term. Yes, and COVID certainly made it very hard to stay connected. We're not alone in that. Obviously, every professional service firm, every business is going through the same pain of how do you stay connected. I think for us it was amplified because we've grown so quickly. We doubled last year in COVID, then we doubled again this year in COVID. So an extremely large percentage of the staff across the group are new and part of how we integrate and bring people on board is through a series of workshops around culture and non-negotiables and purpose and that happens really well face to face. So we've tried to do those things but it's the magic's not there when it's not kind of face to face. So it sort of has been challenging for us. I think, you know, how we've tried to do it is just this constant drumbeat of communication. I think we've had a bias towards probably over-communicating, but there's a whole series of town hall meetings with all staff across the whole group. Then there's town hall meetings within each business unit. The partners are meeting, you know, twice a week. Uh, Head offices are meeting daily. So there's that regular communications around strategy and and how we're tracking. And then in terms of the connection and energy levels, we've done a whole series of initiatives like virtual coffee where we randomly match people together from different business units or different states to meet up. We've done what's called walking roulette. So from the same LGA, you kind of get matched up with someone from your LGA and you get put on a date to go for a walk. We did a digital detox leave where we gave everyone an extra sort of half day's leave just to unplug completely, Um, you know, virtual trivia, you name it. We tried to do a lot of those things around the connection. But then I think what we tried to do is on the mental health aspects uh, is a couple of things. One was we have surveyed all of our people a couple of times. So it's a very open survey. It's obviously their responses are anonymous, but we can track the heartbeat around their feelings of isolation, their feelings of frustration, and the particular things that they're struggling with, like setting barriers between work and home both ways. And also that sort of sense of hopelessness and isolation. What was good was to watch how that heartbeat changed and to some extent how it changed in response to some of the initiatives. Like we sent out a surprise gift hamper to everyone, which is not particularly uh, innovative, but it just gave a little bit of a spike in the heartbeat. But then what we've tried to do is a series of training seminars around how to buoy yourself from a mental health point of view and encouraging partners and staff to have open conversations to try and reduce the stigma of it a little bit so people start to share what are their tips and hacks about how they've beat the lockdown blues. And I think that's been really interesting 
interesting to hear the different ways people are kind of fighting against it to try and keep their own energy, which has been great. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I mean and, you know, you are a classic leader which clearly understands that the small things can make a massive difference. And if you think about the idea of connecting people together and going on walks in their local government areas, I mean, that alone is just a really good idea because not only does it help people stay connected to the business, but I'm sure there's a whole lot of new working relationships which have been built that probably would never have been built if it hadn't been for COVID, purely because they'll be going about their normal day-to-day cadence and as a result, they probably wouldn't come across each other as much as they have now, purely because of that initiative. Sometimes it's not the big thing, it's just little things that you're doing all the time. It's those little things that resonate with people and keep showing them that you do genuinely care. So I was going to say it's exhausting, but you've got to constantly be trying to find new ways to help people. And I think one of the things that I've found is, you know, if I just keep asking the questions, what can we do better, how can we help more, and asking them not just of the leadership teams but of the staff themselves, they've got the answers, they've got the innovation, and then they feel empowered to kind of solve the problem. So in this context of how do we stay energised and aligned and connected, um, a lot of these ideas are coming from the grassroots, which is great because it means that I don't have to be the one that's always thinking of initiatives. It's happening organically, people coming up with ideas and, and executing. Another example was we're doing a series called the Halo Sessions. And it's basically inviting interesting people from people's personal networks to come and talk about their lives. And these are like polar explorers and professional athletes. And it's just a bit of fun to see someone outside professional services and hear someone's story. But that was happened all very organically. So I think, yeah, that's right. It's trusting the people in the organisation to solve the problems. But I think the other thing too is, is that, and this really gets to the next part of this conversation, which really sort of centres around some of the Brené Brown's work from a dare to lead perspective where, you know, her research says that the top two organisational and cultural roadblocks are really centre around tough conversations and avoiding fears and feelings. Now, it sounds to me that from the perspective of a culture that you've developed, there would clearly be plenty of bandwidth for your staff to not be afraid to speak up, not be afraid to talk about issues that they might be dealing with, issues that they might be dealing with with their colleagues. But more importantly, that provides you with a rich vein of information which you guys can leverage and use for the betterment of everybody. And the added advantage of that, in my perspective, is it's been seen to be driven by the team as opposed to by the hierarchy. Yeah, and that's pretty powerful because when there's this sort of management structure, particularly in these big global businesses where management sits in Chicago or London or something, it's very easy for the people on the ground to sort of shrug their shoulders and say, oh, well, it's that management that's invisible and we never see them. What I say to our people, and I'm very open, is that it's your business, you guys own it. So if you don't like something, don't complain about it. You've got to fix it yourselves. There is no one to blame. So you need to kind of have both a sense of empowerment but a a sense that you need to make the changes yourself. So part of that is if there's a problem, you know, we encourage them to escalate it and they can, it's an open door policy, they can escalate it to me or anyone else in management. But I like them to come with the solutions. Well, they don't have to because they don't always know the answer, but I usually say it's a great problem with flags. How would you solve it? And then that kind of gets them thinking about rather than being a victim there, they can kind of help solve the problems themselves. 
tell me this. This is one interesting thing that my father taught me many, many years ago, and he we had a family business that was involved in brick manufacturing, sawmilling, and hardware retail, and he mentioned this phrase to me, which was walk the floor. And so on a regular basis, he would get around to the different parts of the business and and just walk the floor and, and, and go to the hardware store, go to the brick manufacturing business, go to the sawmills and just talk to people. And he explained to me that the enormous power of just being seen. And I guess in a big law firm or any business where you've got lots of people, uh, you're a leader and you're busy, you've got plenty of things going on. Often I've seen in various environments where the senior leaders are often not as seen or as visible as they probably could be. What are the, some of the things that you might do just, you know, when the world is normal and we're back in offices that just helps you stay connected on a very basic day-to-day level just by being seen? Uh, I'm fairly deliberate about it. So I'll schedule uh, either a formal coffee or a lunch with a small group of people, you know, once or twice or three times a week. It's kind of locked in. Or I might just walk out into the floor and say, who wants to come and get sushi or whatever? So I'm constantly kind of grabbing people and just trying to listen. And it's hard because, you know, your diary does get booked out with important, you know, meetings on potential mergers or capital raisings or whatever we're doing. But I think I like this idea of trying to allocate, you know, a quarter of my time just to do that, just to to ring staff, ring partners, one-on-ones, then, you know, unscheduled coffees and catch-ups, that sort of thing. So I think that's just the, a simple process to make sure that, you know, you're always kind of staying connected. Yeah, the connected thing's such an important component of that. And and if you think about workplaces, you know, they play an enormous social fulfilment perspective for people. We know that because we spend a lot of time at work. I mean, can you talk to me a little bit about the broader issue of, team alignment and organisational alignment. You know, you've done an enormous amount of work in the mergers and acquisition space, capital raisings and the like where businesses are coming together, businesses are buying each other and then there's this enormous amount of work that needs to get done to integrate um, once a deal's been done. Can you maybe talk a little bit about some of the experiences you might have had where teams have either been aligned or needed to be aligned after a merger and the types of things that your clients and maybe the things that you've helped your clients with to help these businesses get on track to, you know, drive the value that these sorts of deals can actually create? Yeah, well, I think you mentioned when you opened up this question about the social fulfilment aspect of work and I think a lot of people downplay that or they they put this work-life balance on a pedestal and say, you know, it's all about getting balance. But for me, I think work when it's right, can be incredibly energising and inspiring. And if you think, you know, most of your waking hours are spent with your work colleagues and your clients, and then pretty much your entire adult life is spent with your work colleagues and clients, you've got to think, you know, it can either be that energising, inspiring environment, or it can be dull, frustrating, hampering environment, boring, you know, what's it going to be? So as a leader, I think... You set the tone and if you can create that environment where people want to be there and they are energised and, you know, pushed to the next level in a controlled way, their ambitions are ignited, then special things happen. I think this kind of quest for so-called work-life balance, you know, I think it's important to not work all the time, but I think you should not demonise work. I think work can do amazing things for your social connections and your sense of pride and, fulfillment, all those sorts of things. So I, I wouldn't sort of downplay that. 
then your sort of second question was really around how important is alignment? And I think for me, trying to understand alignment, keeping it as a constant topic, fine-tuning it, testing, sharing stories, I think that's a, that's a kind of a core thing for me to keep coming back to. Um, so in the same way that I, I spend you know, a quarter of my time trying to stay connected with staff, I spend a big chunk of my time just making sure that we keep going back to basics on this alignment between purpose, culture and strategy. And I think it does start with purpose and culture and then goes into strategy. And if they're not aligned, then you kind of definitely pulling in different directions. And one of my favourite analogies is this idea that two horses, when they're in harness pulling a plough, have as much strength as five unharnessed horses. And it's a sort of simple image that when they're harnessed properly, they're incredibly powerful. But if you imagine the two horses pulling in different directions, they're going to stand still or we're still kind of breaking half. So I think alignment for me is this constant theme that we're trying to get right. I think, you know, if you start with this sort of purpose point, understand your purpose, you know, as I said before, it's not about the making of the money, it's about the impact you're going to have on all your different stakeholders. And that definitely gives me the right kind of north star for time and energy. So if our purpose is to grow individuals from, you know, personally and professionally, then I now know I need to invest in programs. So we do fun stuff like an adventure club where we go hiking in New Zealand. We have a leadership academy, which was like a two-year program. That includes some of the Brene Brown stuff and Ted Talkers and things like that. And a hobby club, or it's called the Da Vinci Program, which is, you know, go and get a hobby. If you do it for 12 months, it's something new you haven't done before, we'll pay for the hobby. There's no way big law firms would do that because their whole thing's about profit, right? Why would you invest literally hundreds of thousands of dollars every year on helping people to grow personally? You got any jobs? Go- you got any jobs going? By the way, sounds like a pretty, <laughs> sounds like a pretty good place to work. But if you sort of think about it, you know, you're spending so much time at work, as I said. Let's make it a little bit more fun, a little bit more energising. Uh, and people are doing fantastic new hobbies like yoga and learning how to swim for the first time because they're from overseas, or they're writing a novel or whatever it is that we're giving them permission to kind of have a more balanced life. And then I think the purpose around the teams is critical because it's like if my purpose is to create an environment where teams collaborate, that just sort of sets the scene for everything. So I can go into my culture and then my culture needs to reinforce my purpose. So the culture needs to have a series of values and non-negotiable behaviours which reinforce purpose. And we invest a lot of time in the, the values and I, I would like to think that anyone that's worked with me for more than, say, three months, if you ask them what the group values were, they would not only know what the values were, but they could tell you how they've seen them applied in practice. That's my kind of dream, and I'm hoping that that's the reality. I made it easier for them because I said the values are high performance, agility, leadership, and openness, which spells halo. So it's it's pretty easy to remember, and those values sort of pull us in the right direction so that in the strategy my kind of go-to is the McKinsey kind of 7S of strategy and we can tease out all the different elements of that but we sort of definitely make sure that we're not being blocked on implementing our strategy because we're doing things around our purpose and culture which are pulling in different directions. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, there's so much in there that we could really, really delve into, especially around the cultural piece and the fact that you mentioned before that, you know, because there's so much waking hours spent working, I absolutely 100% agree with you. If you love your work, you are going to perform better. You're going to provide a better service to your clients from the perspective of a professional services firm and the financial rewards will come. They're an outcome of doing great things as opposed to thinking about, you know, profit, profit, profit all the time. If you actually flip that on its head, the profit comes from great performance and that's driven by people who are happy generally. If we think about some of the challenges that leaders face today, Nick, and and clearly you're leading uh, what I would call an evolution of the law firm and, and, and moving away from that traditional practice, if you like, into a much more collaborative, warmer, safer environment, if you like. But talk to me about some of the things that, or the challenges that you think leaders face today. And if you think about the leadership academy that you guys are developing at Halo Group, what are some of the things that you're doing to prepare the next generation, if you want, of leaders for leading today? So the academy's really designed to unpack a couple of key issues. One is to get the skill set into all staff regardless of level of leadership. So one of our core values is being a leader and you're a leader irrespective of your title or tenure. So everyone's a leader. And that's sort of slightly self-serving because it goes to that empowerment thing as well, which is I don't want people who are more junior to say, oh, I can't be the change. I want them to sort of step up a little bit. So I think one of the things we found when we looked at the very large numbers of staff leaving the professional services firms, not just law but across the whole industry, was that their direct manager, 70% of people left because their direct manager was a poor leader. You make an interesting point there because I would argue in a number of scenarios that I've seen in this sort of environment um, of professional services that often high performers get placed in positions of leadership purely because of the performance which is driven as opposed to them being great leaders. And I actually have some empathy for those people who are put in those positions because they're super high performers but they've actually never had any training. They've never had or been equipped to actually lead. Obviously, there's always exceptions to the rule and some people are just naturally born leaders, but but I would also argue that you can be uh, you can learn that as well. Yeah, and my hope is that by the time someone's made a partner, they would have been through the Leadership Academy twice. So they would have done every module, you know, two, two or three times. I mean, if you think about this group, it's this core team's been together for more than a decade. Yeah. So there are a bunch of people who've come through and we're a lawyer and a senior associate and then now a partner you know, a very large percentage of people have been there for, you know, working with me as a team for 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years. That goes to scalability as well, which is the training systems we can break up into smaller groups and do workshops where the partners have been through the process twice before now, train the trainer. So it forces them to speak and, and help other people to learn, which I think reinforces that knowledge in them. So I think they're having difficult conversations is a real issue and when we surveyed everyone that was the number one skill that they struggled with so for me we've certainly got that on the curriculum and we do role play and workshops and come up with the most common examples where we have to have difficult conversations in the workplace and then we make people role play it out which is kind of fun so we do that and then i think you mentioned i've personally learned stuff through kind of doing mergers and transactions i think the one lesson that stuck with me from my days when I was on the tools was really this idea of the Apache technique, which is 
so the story goes when the Apaches meet someone new, rather than shaking their hand, they come and stand behind them and look where the other person's looking. So it's this idea of, I guess, it's empathy, but it's, I see what you see. And that's one of the things that I kind of learned negotiating in the M&A deals was, you know, have the open conversation to say, I understand what you want is A, B and C. So I don't have to keep saying it. It shows that you're understanding and listening. And also gets them saying yes a lot, which is a pretty common technique. You say, I understand you want A, B and C, and they say yes, 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 and it just sort of frames everything in a positive mode. So I think that's the kind of the understanding kind of process. But the Leadership Academy is also about kind of performance and understanding how your brain works. So it's mindfulness and cognitive flow. What we really want is people working at their best cognitive state and trying to understand all the little things they're doing every day that stops that. So that's also part of it, which is probably more of an individual thing, understanding how you you work yourself and when you work your best and trying to maximise that, but also understanding how you can work with other people in this collaboration situation without ruining their flow and their productivity. Yeah, and I think the thing about that, certainly from a modern leadership point of view, certainly, you know, you would have heard this phrase a thousand times, you know, we had to get rid of him or her because they didn't fit in. And I would argue that these days organisations, because the war on talent is being won by the talent as opposed to employers, if you like, uh, there's a need for organisations to create environments that provide a fit for a whole range of different people. And this is where diversity comes from, of course, and it's clear. It's clear to me that, you know, organisations need to have that a platform and an environment which embraces all sorts of different cultures, backgrounds, etc., to ensure that everyone feels like they belong. And if they belong and they feel like they're going to belong, they'll do great things. There's no question about that. Yeah, so I think the trick is can people feel like they bring their true selves to work? That's the trick, isn't it? That they feel like they don't have to conform to some pre-specified way of acting or their you know perspectives on the world. They can bring their true selves to how they interact with everyone else. Yeah, of course not, but I think that's the thing. Bringing it, your authentic self every day to work is going to be very effective. Now, we're going to change tact just for two minutes before we, we wrap things up because I know you've got a few other things on shortly, but tell me, what are you watching, what are you reading, and what are you listening to at the moment? What, what are some tips that you can tell our listeners that they should go? And, of course, they should buy your book too, at least Summit Leadership, as the first cab off the rank, I would have thought. Oh, yes, please. Um, so we actually do a book club. I call it the CEO book club at work and we do it with all the partners that want to do it. And right now we're doing Trillion Dollar Coach, the book about Bill Campbell, which I, I really like. Then we're doing no, no Rules Rules, which is the Reed Hastings book and Working Backwards. So they're the sort of my current reading list. Um, Trillion Dollar Coach is uh, Bill Campbell was – um, the sort of a mentor to four or five different very successful entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley. So he sort of claimed to fame across you know, everything from Facebook to Twitter and so on. But the style he brings is very much he's the coach, not the policeman, sort of part cheerleader, asking people the right questions, which, again, I think is such a powerful way of thinking about the world. Is he, As I said before, you don't need to have all the answers but if you're asking the right questions, you can get people to think through the right sort of process. And working backwards, the Amazon story, 
I was pretty skeptical about that one. And I've read it and I'm like, we're implementing two or three of the big recommendations that they had real time. So I think part of it is being curious and learning, but if you're not going to implement it, it's a bit pointless. So we've just done the one responsible leader program, which is basically when something falls between functional heads, making sure that it's allocated to one person to be solely responsible for delivering on that. And if you think about it, the stuff we're doing, like the PX programs, where does that fit? Is it a talent issue or is it a communications issue? And the same with like training or something. Who, who's responsible for all these programs like the hobby program? Is that a comms issue or is it, is it an accountant that runs it because it's costing money? Or but So what we're trying to do is implement some of those programs that came out of the Amazon book, which was I thought was excellent. Just for the listeners out there, the PX means people experience, just uh, for those of you who were wondering what PX meant. Yeah. And you said before it's all about the clients, so I actually think it's all about people. Because I think if I get the people stuff right, they'll look after the clients. And if I get the people stuff wrong, then the clients will be unhappy because the, the staff are disengaged and they're not giving 100%. So that's probably a fairly controversial thing to say. But I think if we can get the PX stuff right and get the culture right, then hopefully, fingers crossed, that the CX stuff, the client experience stuff will, will spit out more easily. Yeah, there's no question about that. Now, Nick, as a final question, and of those of you who are listening out there and have listened to the series of Speak Up, I ask the same question of every guest to finish up. So, Nick, from your perspective, what do you know about leadership and alignment that you wished you knew when you were 20 years old? So what do you, what did you, do you know now about leadership and alignment that you wish you knew when you started out in your career? Oh, probably a thousand things. <laughs> um, the one that I think is the most powerful is probably talent, which is uh, never compromise on talent. So I think if we could never, ever, ever compromise on talent, then a lot comes out of that. And then I know that the reality is that, you know, you're under pressure, people are stretched, so you need to hire someone and you, you don't trust your gut and you bring on the wrong person. The cost of unravelling that decision is enormous. So I think the one thing that I've learned that I'm trying to hold myself to is this idea of increasing talent density so that you're always hiring someone who really matches the nuances of the personality traits that you know will work in your business, which, you know, it'll be different depending on what you're doing. Right? But for me, I need people that have got a, a sense of humour and that they're hardworking and they've got a little bit of hustle because it's, you know, we don't have the, we're a challenger brand, so you need to be able to be proactive and get out there and chase work. So we sort of found out what kind of mixture of personality traits works for us. Nick Humphrey, it's terrific to see you. Thanks so much for your time and uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, Ed. It was excellent. Good fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode four of the Speak Up podcast a podcast for leaders who want to make a difference. Speak supports CEOs and their teams to optimise leadership and performance with a tailored and proven approach that builds trust and delivers outcomes. To find out more, visit www.speak.com, spelled S-P-I-I-Q-U-E. Please keep an ear out for the next episode of the Speak Up podcast and please subscribe and share it with your friends. Until next time, stay healthy, stay safe and stay curious.